0: Comment and share. All right. Good day, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Hanging with Harley. Uh, Harley Schlanger with LaRouche Pack and also, also the Schiller Institute. Uh, this is CJ. Very excited to be joining Harley today. V uh, couldn't make it today, but we're going to deliver another great show. Uh, thank you for all the feedback, the comments regarding our last show. Uh, so without further ado, Harley, how are you, sir? I'm great, CJ. How are you? I'm I'm doing great, Harley. Uh, the only thing that just is always on my mind, Harley, is, is worrying about the Russians and
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: worrying about the Russians and their infiltration of, of uh, my computers and our elections and everything. Harley, what say you?
1: Well, you know, I saw a poll that came out. There was a Gallup poll that listed the things. It's a typical poll. The, what are the issues of most concern to Americans? And uh, danger from Russia, less than 1%. So I, I think what we see with the hysteria from John Brennan, from Schumer, from Republicans like Flake and others, uh, even Newt Gingrich, uh, isn't really resonating with the American people. The American people want to know, are we going to have jobs? Are we going to have a, an economy? Are oil prices going to keep going up? Uh, that, that's what's worrying them, keeping them up at night. I don't think too many Americans are afraid that Russian bots are going to take over their favorite website or that their vote will be canceled out by uh, someone sitting in a basement in St. Petersburg, Russia.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's amazing, Harley. It's definitely this whole Russian collusion thing has ran its course. I think at this point it's really going to backfire in terms of any type of, politicizing they were hoping to gain out of it and for the most part when you take a look at some of the uh the more staunch conservatives more the people with freedom and liberty like rand paul who's actually questioning the justification of outrage stating that so you're telling me you would rather advocate for for war versus uh, two powerhouses coming together for negotiations uh just just amazing and i know you have a great article that you wrote uh, Harley uh, discussing it. So would you like to break your thoughts down regarding the Trump-Putin uh, meeting?
1: Yeah, you're talking about Rand Paul, the Russian agent, right?
0: That's correct, yes.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes,
0: Rand the Russian agent.
1: <laughs> I, I think he was called that by David Korn of Mother Jones, who is the person who first leaked the uh, Christopher Steele report. So take the source for what it is. Look, what I wrote about is that the the summit stands on its own, and and the press summit press conference, uh, Trump and Putin came out of this uh, fairly lengthy and substantive meeting, feeling pretty happy about what they had done and and what they told us. So far, what's come out publicly after the summit is that there's discussion going on between the militaries of both nations on how to deal with the Syrian situation. Uh, There's discussion going on on intermediate nuclear forces, which is extremely important. The uh, attempt to get arms control agreements. And I think this is something that President Trump emphasized in his press conference. And the media is so intent on trying to show that he's controlled by Putin that they miss the substance. You know, how terrible is it? For the president to speak with a Russian leader about arms control, if that's treason, then Ronald Reagan was a traitor. Bill Clinton was a traitor. Both Bushes, uh, now I would say Obama was a traitor uh, for regardless. But you know, talking to Russia about arms control has never been a sign of being a traitor. The other things they talked about, working together on North Korea, with Putin pledging his full support... How is that something that threatens the security of the United States? The only way you can make sense of this is to follow what what I've been writing, what we've been writing over at LaRouche PAC, which is that you have a dedicated bunch of deep state fools who depend for their livelihood and the power of their sponsors in the global banking community, the insurance community, and so on. Depend on sustaining a world order that's collapsing—the so-called post-Cold War world order. It's collapsing. The idea that the U.S. is the only superpower imposing its will on all subject nations—and really, it's not the U.S. that's doing it. It's the Wall Street banks, the City of London banks, uh, working with the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, NATO, GAT, and such organizations. To impose a second American century, but one which is no longer based on the United States as an industrial power, but one is the United States joining the British as a parasitical, swindling country. And that's not going to work anymore. And Trump recognizes that. John Brennan probably recognizes it, but he's fighting like hell to keep the old paradigm in place. And some of these these has-beens, you know, Flake Uh, Corker, the Republicans who are attacking uh, Trump, David Frum, you know, here's a guy who was the uh, speechwriter for George W. Bush, who coined the term axis of evil to justify the illegal invasion of Iraq. And he's out there saying Trump has created a national security emergency. So these guys are speaking on behalf of a dead system. And it's now up to the supporters of President Trump, not just to defend talking to the Russians or the Chinese, but to discuss how we get into this new order. And I'm not talking about a new world order, how we break the new world order of George Herbert Walker Bush, break out of that and establish the basis for mutual benefit among sovereign nations. And I was very pleased when President Putin made the point that both of us, both Putin and Trump, are concerned first with the national interests of our people, and then to work with other countries in the interests not only of our nation, but of their nation. And where we agree, we can collaborate. Where we disagree, we can have dialogue. But I thought Trump's statement, where he said something like, uh, a a political risk for peace uh, is much better than uh, rejecting peace for political benefit. And I think in that sense, the president is showing some real courage and deserves support.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I Very well said, because I was going to say the same thing that you just said, was that I was very proud of our president to not cave to politicizing this and to utilize that type of forum with a world leader like Putin, someone who basically has... Uh, been able to to uh, win for the people of Syria a major change there for Trump not to specifically go there to make false accusations, but for uh, Trump to stand his ground to say, "Hey, look, you know, I'm not here for that." There are a lot other issues than this make-believe Russian collusion. Now, one of the conversations that Harley was going to ask you about is specifically around energy, and that's news that the U.S. now is really ramping up energy, uh, oil production, you know, uh, natural gas. Uh, That very well could be uh, one of the first negotiations or the partnerships that occurs with Russia uh, potentially to change things up significantly in the Middle East.
1: Well, I think that does have an impact in the Middle East. And on that uh, basis, Trump needs the cooperation of Putin because Putin is in a prime position in shaping the policies coming out of the Middle East. But there's another aspect of this energy question which people are missing. And that is that Trump, in his criticism of Germany before the most recent uh, summit he attended, the NATO summit, uh, when everyone focused on him saying that Germany is is a subject now of Russian manipulation around energy, he said that the reason for that is that Germany shut down its nuclear and coal energy production. and that trump the Trump administration is trying to protect the more advanced technologies, nuclear technology. And also move into a new era of technologies, which include plasma uh, energy production, nuclear fusion. And this is where Russia and China are going. So if you look at oil as an interim policy, oil and gas is a necessary uh, uh, capability, necessary platform for energy. But then look into the future. China is preparing to mine the moon for helium-3 which they are convinced, as are American scientists, would be the basis of a fuel for fusion energy production, virtually unlimited power. So we're seeing a shift away from the old oil geopolitics, which has been dominated by the city of London, and to some extent also the Dutch, uh, using the Middle Eastern countries as their battering rams. This is, a, a again, part of the old paradigm. And I think Trump and Putin are on the same page on this, not because Trump is being blackmailed, but because they're both not stuck in the old way of doing things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Harley, I want to get your take a little bit in regards to the US economy, because I think that's, a, that's so important to keep in mind, because when you took a, th- a look at that Gallup poll that you mentioned, where 1%, less than 1% even cared in regards to Russia, you're exactly right. You know, we don't want uh, a 2020 potential re-election where uh, the, the economy slips back even more. And there's so much talk right now of hyping up the US economy. They're talking about a 6% GDP growth. They're talking about uh, you know, the the the, the budget and, and, the, and the spending, but news has came out in regards to the fact that the trade deficit has been the largest by far, probably over the se- past several years. The mm-hmm. U.S. Uh, government budget, it's going to exceed $1 trillion starting in 2019. Uh, what are your your thoughts on that? Because that has to be an important part as it, as it goes back into the 2020 reelection campaign.
1: Well, wages continue to be stagnant. Productivity is stagnant. Uh, I think Trump supporters should not buy into the logic that was used by Obama and Hillary in the last election, that a robust stock market necessarily means a strong economy. Yes, there are more jobs, but they're still not paying very well. The housing market is overheated, and that's something that could pop. And more importantly, You have a number of weak links on the banking side of things. You have tremendous uh, instability in Europe with Deutsche Bank, Commerzbank, uh, the London banks, uh, the French banks, Uh, all are dependent on easy money. And the Europeans are following the Federal Reserve to try and move out from under quantitative easing. Now, Trump intervened yesterday in a very interesting way where... You know, the president is supposed to keep hands off the Federal Reserve, which is, of course, a a private agency run for the benefit of private bankers, not for the U.S. economy. And Trump warned them not to keep raising interest rates. Now, why is he saying that? Well, obviously, we need credit for the economy to function. But All the credit that's been produced from the end of the 2008 crash, or I should say from September 2008 to the present, more than 90% of that credit has gone into stocks and bonds and new debt. Very little of it has gone into new physical production. And what Trump is trying to do is to get money into physical production, to have startups in uh, manufacturing, small and medium enterprises. And there's only one way to do that, which is that you have to free these corporations, especially the smaller companies, from the debt overhang that they have. And secondly, you have to then channel new productive credit at low interest rate into companies that will produce something. And as long as we have a Federal Reserve System, which thinks that as long as the banks make profit and stocks are turning over and... uh, financial derivatives and other kinds of um, so-called new financial or innovative financial instruments are turning profits, that it doesn't matter if there's nothing behind it. Well, it does matter. It matters completely because the, the people who are now somewhat happy because their pension funds are appreciating, their 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 market money market funds and so on are going up, those can drop like a rock in an instant. And then the so-called Trump recovery would be lost. So he has to be very careful what he does on the trade question, but he does have to move into a new area of regulatory policy, which is to regulate the financial system, to stop the Federal Reserve from pumping money into speculation, to creation of more debt and instead to figure out a means by which you create a credit system that gets money into physical production. And that's what the Hamiltonian credit system that Lyndon LaRouche has proposed would do. That's what the Chinese are doing. It's interesting. Chinese GDP fell a little bit this last quarter. Well, the reason was that the money that was being made in China in speculation that was added to their GDP in the last year was knocked out. They've cut out a lot of the speculation. And so there wasn't as much monetary profit, but that the profit that was there was plowed back into production, back into industries, which means future productivity gains and future wealth production. And I think this is something that that Trump has to pay attention to. Uh, He should not leave himself at the mercy of Wall Street speculators who could either in September of this year or before the 2020 elections decide to pull the plug on the stock market uh, as a way of a regime change if impeachment doesn't work. So he's got to get a real economic recovery. You know, I'm, I'm not that impressed with what we've seen so far. Yes, there is more money, there are certain things that are improving, but a lot of it is unsustainable debt. And unless you move out of that, you're setting yourself up for another bubble pop.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I and I keep falling back to that. I know our last couple of conversations I went to that and specifically, Harley, because I want our listeners and I want those that are uh, really um, talking about this uh, QAnon, the phenomenon regarding, you know, I'm optimistic and I want to continue to do that. But at the same time, I don't want us to fall back and have a flashback to the 1992 presidential campaign where uh, James Carville, the, the Raging Cajun, uh, infamously coined to George H.W. Bush, it's the economy, stupid, that one <laughs> that ended up landing him a one-term president.
1: You know, President Trump, in a certain way, used the Carville strategy against Hillary. He went into the depressed areas in the former industrial Midwest and places like Pennsylvania and uh, Illinois and Wisconsin and Michigan and said to people, Uh, You're not doing better off because of the so-called Obama recovery, that Hillary's policy is a Wall Street policy and doesn't get through to Main Street. And, And, you know, I saw a map yesterday. I think it was it may have even been a CNN map, but it showed the vote in these industrial areas where there had been manufacturing comparing 1992 with 2016. 1992, they were all blue. In 2016, they were mostly red, meaning they voted for Trump. Now, to sustain those votes, he's going to have to deliver. And by deliver, I don't mean part-time and temporary jobs of the sort that Obama created, but a return to industrial jobs where people can make enough money so that they can save some money, they can put money aside for their kid's college fund, uh, where they can pay off a mortgage as opposed to having to constantly get second and third mortgages to borrow more money and go deeper in debt or to use credit cards to pay for food. So these are concerns that, that, that I have with the so-called Trump policy. I think the tax policy uh, was not the right one uh, because it didn't do what John Kennedy was trying to do. By giving corporations money with no regulation or restriction or direction as to where it will go, what happened? Most of it went into buybacks. It's going into mergers and acquisitions. Uh, so you see Jeff Bezos getting richer by $5 billion a week. Right. Yeah. Now, <laughs> how does that help the Amazon worker? It doesn't. They're, in fact, in some cases going on strike. So what you've got to do is have something that connects. If you're going to give a tax credit then have it connected to creating new jobs or job training or a new plant and equipment. And that's what we need, research and development. That's what we need so we create a physical product. And this was the old Hamilton idea of never taking on a debt without the means to extinguish it. Now, Hamilton was not opposed to uh, taking on debt, provided it went into something that would increase productivity and increase wealth creation. Real wealth creation, not funny money, so that you have the ability not only to pay off the debt, but to invest in the future. And that's what I learned from many years working with Lyndon LaRouche, that this is what we failed to do after the 1960s in the United States. We went into a bubble economy, speculation, uh, monetary policy, free trade, which means Shut down your industry and your production in the advanced sector and and depend on cheap labor in poor countries. And then you make your people dependent on inferior products from other countries instead of producing them in your own country. So this is where I think the president uh, now has to pay some attention. Again, I'm fully with him in fighting against this Russiagate fraud. As you know, I've been writing every single week exposing all the lies and the, the corruption of the Mueller investigation. Uh, and I, I also uh, am very supportive of what he has done working with China, uh, South Korea, Japan, and Russia to deal with the North Korea crisis and now to work with Russia. So we've got to get behind the president, but make sure that, that he doesn't give in to the Paul Ryans and Mitch McConnells who are perfectly willing to accept the idea that a bubble is good economics because the people who pull their strings are making a huge profit. Right, absolutely.
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't think they'll be able to uh, to lower rates again and to 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 hopefully you know spur the economy again. And and unfortunately, uh, something has to be done to to to, to change that. So, uh, Harley, any any uh, uh, closing thoughts? Or uh, also, please share with our listeners how they can learn more about the work that you do with uh, LaRouche Pack and the Schiller Institute, please.
1: One thing that that is important here is that there's got to be a discussion of writing off or writing down significant amounts of this paper debt, this funny money debt that was created leading into 2008 and then was protected by the bailouts and bail-ins after 2008. We should not have any more bailouts, any more bail-ins. If speculators are going to take money and put it into risk, they should be the ones who pay the price if the risks fail. And that means we need a Glass-Steagall bill that separates commercial banks from investment banking uh, and trading. It, it also means that we need a credit policy that generates uh, credit into physical production. Now, if we do that, I think the, with, with the strategic direction we're getting from President Trump, and it is, by the way, from Trump. It's not from his advisors. His advisors are terrible in most of these things, like Bolton and Dan Coats. I mean, can you imagine Dan Coats, oh the national security or, or <laughs> director of national intelligence, telling Trump, well, yes, there was collusion? So, I mean, I, I don't know why he keeps some of these guys around, but the important thing is get informed. Don't be a sucker for this uh, recovery line. We need a real economic recovery. I think Trump is capable of delivering that if we can get him freed from this whole Russiagate story. And if you want my uh, take on these things, you can uh, write to me at S C H at gmail.com. Uh, that's H-A-R-L-E-Y-S-C-H at gmail.com. And I'll send you my latest article and, and the, a link to my blog so you can sign up and get my articles every week.
0: Absolutely. Harley Slinger. everyone. Thank you, Harley. Again, thank you for a great interview. Sincerely appreciate your time. Uh, enjoy your upcoming weekend with your your family and
1: we'll catch you next week. Okay. Talk to you soon, CJ.
0: Take care.